Joel, you're right, is going to be the opener of this episode because I don't think that's something we can do out of Craig's mouth again. <laughs> Ooh, Joel, you're right, by the way. Ooh, Joel, you're right. Beers, beers with house. Thrust, beers, and Welcome or welcome back to another episode of Beers with Talos, this one being lucky number 13. We have a whole lot of stuff to get to today, so let's jump in, talk about a little bit about the struts volume we heard about this week, and of course, uh, we're going to talk a lot about poning the supply chain. That's the big story this week. And we also have a good bit about the economy of exploits and the supply and demand that goes behind all that. A whole lot of ground to cover, so let's just get right to it. Usually when we start these things off, we always go around the table, see what's on everybody's mind. Uh, since we've changed the, the means of production here, I guess I have to figure out a, a new way to uh, get everybody on the same page. So I guess let's look in the, in the WebEx here. And Craig, you will be up first today on the roundtable. Uh, yeah, so it's been a long week. I've been out of town most of the week. Had an amazing weekend. You guys won't believe the math that United can do. So, you know, with the flight attendants, they can only fly so many hours and they have to sleep so many hours, whatever. So apparently United thought it was cool for my flight to come in at 2 a.m. and then leave at 7 a.m. or whatever. Apparently, whatever it was, it meant that the flight attendants actually had to sleep till 9. So knowing this, an entire day in advance, United did nothing. And I got to the airport, waited hours, and then the flight finally took off. Uh, Everybody missed their connecting flights. And then hilariously, my connecting flight, which was also United, was delayed due to ground maintenance. I have I have a request. Yeah. So next next time we record, can we make it so Craig has to say something positive during his opening statement? Yeah, I think so. Like, just, like you have to say something nice about somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Can, yeah. Can we? <laughs> Mitch is alive! Yay! <laughs> I'm sure it's all United's fault. It's nothing to do with you know hurricanes and things going around and stranding airplanes and ground crews. Oh, here's my thing: no. like if they knew that a Why day in advance, it was physically impossible to make the connection. Like the, the time just did not work. Why wouldn't they just swap my flight? Yeah, but they're going to try. They're going to try, close. right? And then like, just in case they get a, wasn't they find a spare ground crew or spare you know crew and get you there, and you know that's what if they're trying to do. Sort of they don't want to give up. Plan flight times. So what, what airport were you stranded in? Uh, I was, I got stuck both in Austin and in Houston. So is it like, that's like a hub city. I mean, there should have been plenty of flight crews to swap out with. Well, that's, see, that's why you went to Texas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you're basically going back, you know, what, 30 or 40 years technology wise. The best part though, was once I got a new flight, the flight that was delayed was so delayed, I could have actually gotten on it, even though it was 90 minutes Man, late. it's got Mitchell. It's gotten to the point that when Craig interrupts somebody, I hear the train whistle in my head, even though you didn't push the button. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Matt, you are, you are up next. All right. Well, it is, uh, to set the time, September 15th when we're recording, and this morning, the Cassini space probe uh, crashed into Saturn um, after... An amazing by design. Yeah, all hands on board lost. <laughs> twenty years, twenty years that mission's been running, and so um, I have a modest proposal to honor Cassini and to ensure that other industry security teams are not contaminated. I propose that anyone who leaves Talos be cast into the upper atmosphere of Saturn strapped yeah. with enough telemetry gathering equipment to contribute to the continued study <laughs> of that beautiful planet. I'm okay with this, actually. I think that's a fantastic yeah. idea. Yeah, I done. think it's a great idea. 
Nigel. Oh, hey, di didn't didn't I hear that uh, the next date for the apocalypse is September the 23rd and there's some alignment going on and Planet X is going to come flying by and we're all doomed and going to die in a giant fireball. So you're saying I should go ahead and, and pay the right? extra for the iPhone X? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you probably should, yeah. Yeah, if you can get one. I should I should burn my PTO. Yeah. See, Mitch, you shouldn't even bother going home. You should have just partied it up. Should have. Well, I mean, that would have been in Raleigh, so I'm not quite uh -huh. sure, you know. That's <laughs> been not to, a bad town. Been to Raleigh. Just, you know, not a beach not town. the most party in town I've ever been to. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, man. So what else is on your mind, Nigel? The other thing that's on my mind is that tomorrow when I have to watch the Mighty Reds, I'll have to do so online because... They're not putting it on NBC Sports on the actual TV, even though because I use Apple technology, I'll be able to stream it onto my laptop and then project it onto the television using my Apple TV. Right, That's Joel? Cool, sir. Yeah. We're going to be right on top of that, Joel. You're ready. I want it. I have, yeah. a, uh, I have a question for you, Nigel. Yeah. How do you feel about uh, one Mr. Warren Mercer uh, and, his, and his condolences and his, quote, and I feel bad for Nigel and his faith in Liverpool. How would you respond to Warren? <laughs> well, you, what you have to remember about Warren is that um, not only does he love sparkly shorts, um, but he's also a red-headed <laughs> Irishman who uh, follows Racist. Newcastle United. He's a Newcastle uh, for fan? For no good oh, reason whatsoever. Thing. Yes. Oh, I got a question for you, Nigel. Um, Nigel, Nigel, yes, Nigel. Which, is, which is worse? Oh, yes, I heard sir. the train horn too. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll accept the train horn. <laughs> I will, I will, but I got a question for you, Nigel. Which is worse, Newcastle Brown Ale or uh -huh. Newcastle Football Club? Oh, yeah. go on. Ooh. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. Newcastle, the football club, used to actually ha be sponsored by Newcastle Brown Ale, and they had the star on the front of their shirts mm -hmm. and said Newcastle mm -hmm. Brown on there. Um, the so came I guess about. they both go hand in hand, really. Okay, they're as bad yeah. as each other. Right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> hey, Mitch, what's your roundtable item this week? Uh, well, this week I do have a a couple things I want to want to touch on real quick. One, thank you last week for to the whole team for for going ahead and and getting the podcast out. And um, Matt, thank you for kind of taking the helm there and 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 taking over the host duties uh that was it was it was a good episode don't forget he he didn't volunteer to do that we just all avoided it until <laughs> yeah it was one of those everyone stepped forward and they all took one step back and i was like not yep. paying attention uh, <laughs> yep. Well, I, I did want to correct one little bit of information um, that was at the tail end of the podcast mm -hmm. there. Uh, I, I did get credit for planning my family's evacuation from Northern Ireland. However, that was my wife who planned the whole thing Yay. and did a fantastic job. We know, we know your wife did it. She's way more amazing. Yeah, she really is much more amazing human being than I'll, I'll ever be. So I did want to thank that. Thank you guys. And I, I especially want to thank uh, a lot of the folks in Cisco that, that reached out, uh, a lot of the folks up in RTP. Anthony Greco and, and Natalie Meyer both making sure that if I was stuck up there, I'd have a place to work out of. Uh, and, and Anthony really kind of reaching out. I, I think he may have actually emailed or called every single Cisco employee in Florida to make sure that they had a place to stay. Uh, he just did an amazing job. He has a big house. He's a good yeah, guy. Maybe he just wanted to feed his pigs. Whoa. <laughs> <Call> <laughs> we talked about that last time. Yeah. Right? The, you know, get it. Add Greco to the murder phone tree. <laughs> 
Like he doesn't already have his own murder phone tree. That guy's planning twelve steps ahead. He's playing thirteen dimensional chess for sure. He just wanted to make sure you were working. That's it. Good man. See if you'd come to Virginia, we wouldn't have made you work. All right, Joel, you are up next on the round table. New car is 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 awesome. It's currently parked at the airport because I am uh, broadcasting from the uh, lovely state of Georgia, but lovely is in quotes so there's that and then you love georgia you are in georgia three or four times a year uh i'm in georgia yeah, like a least. solid one time a year is that i always seems like you're down in georgia and having a good time like you have you have family uh, down there right yeah like or every other week or something that's where the devil went though and dave Maynard is still there <laughs> running the show he's in charge Indeed. of the state and now, now to the second question how many apple products did you buy I bought zero Apple products. Oh shit! Really? Yes. You know, you know that he always buys uh, two phones, right, Craig? Uh, he gets one to use and one to keep oh in the original package. <laughs> one for the museum. Okay. Oh His little Apple museum. Yeah. So uh, we did have a we did have a lot going on since the since the last episode. Uh, we were a little late getting that back. It took me a minute to to get that together and get it out. So we we have had some time pass between episodes here. And so if you're tired of waiting, you need to tweet at Mitch, how dare you evacuate, and then we can all have a nice <laughs> chat on Twitter. Oh, speaking <laughs> of, I actually did get a couple tweets and Facebook updates of people like, hey, you can hand in your Floridian card when you get back, and, oh. which I thought was the most asinine thing I've ever yeah. seen. Well, I, I responded to one of them, and I was like, I will trade you for your I make responsible decisions with my children card. Oh, now <laughs> yeah. Guys, we got an internet shit Mitch, you with the shit talking with big words. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a badge of honor, wouldn't it? Like, I am not Florida man. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm here now. Are there good stereotypes about Florida? Not the what? Seriously, what's a, is there a good stereotype uh, about Florida? This sounds like a good topic. Um, no. <laughs> no good ones. No good ones at all. It's solid security topic right here. <laughs> but our audience comes the here beaches? to The beaches? I mean, the beaches it's are all nice. That's... <laughs> yeah, but if I had to pick a nice beach, I mean. Beaches and Cuban food and, you and know. Cuban food, maybe. Boats and so uh, I guess we'll get to the real thing. Yeah. You guys want to talk about that struts bug? So do we want to start there? Or do we want to start with some of the? We had like kind of like a, a Vaughn spotlight bonanza going on. If we want to cover any of those, meh. No, we found some voles. They were super awesome. Go read about them on the blog. All right, so let's start with struts then. <laughs> <laughs> so it, th- 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 let's back up to Equifax, right? Well, I kind of wanted to talk about the challenges of patching in general and, you know, when it's important to patch and when it's not, uh, you know, from like a risk perspective, because I think a lot of people get confused about that. You know, when the struts issue came out and we wrote the initial post back in, I think it was like March or May, um, it was an act of exploitation. And if you actually looked at our post and looked at the screenshots, it was a command injection, pretty obviously. Now, the problem with a command injection attack is that it's incredibly trivial to modify. Like, you can literally just go in and put in whatever commands you want. You don't have to understand shellcode. You don't have to understand offsets. You don't have to understand how memory layouts work or, like, stack protection. It's literally just go in there and modify it, and you're good to go. So, like, I so, can do it? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a <laughs> well, string. It's I mean, just a string replace. With Petney's help. <laughs> well, he's, he's a nice guy, nice. so he'll probably help. He's the nicest <laughs> yeah, of us. Totally actually, he would, he would take much joy in helping you with that. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch wants to learn. Yay! <laughs> I can hear him now. <laughs> so, you know, when this happened, we immediately responded and told people, you know, you need to patch now. Um, you know, a lot of these bugs when they come out, you know, we see 
I don't even know how many web server roles a week, but quite a few. And some of them are really hard to exploit. Some of them never have exploits written. But when it's a command injection like this, this should hit the top of your radar. It is the easiest to write an exploit for. An exploit existed. Exploitation was in the wild. And so if you're a CISO, this is about as high risk as it gets, right? And so when it comes down to the fact that, you know, maybe you have a 90-day patch cycle, you know, for these type of bugs, for these type of command injection vulnerabilities, you've got to find a way to shorten that uh, or you're going to get into trouble. You can't have a, you can't have a one-line patch policy, right? Um, so, like, back, back before SourceFire joined uh, MAP, uh, we had a lot of conversations with customers about what their patch cycles were, and they'd be like, oh, well, we have uh, Microsoft comes out with their patch, and then we have 45 days to evaluate it, and then we push it in the field. And, um, oh, wow. Yeah, and so it's, it's um, to give you guys an example of, of what we did at that time, uh, what we would do is we would take an existing install of Windows, and we would reverse engineer that, and then we would take the patch, and then we would compare that reverse engineering to the, the existing version of Windows, and that would tell us where the problem was. Um, and then we would uh, spend probably, you know, if you're me, a couple of days. If you're someone who actually really knew what they were doing, um, probably about two, three hours, really understanding what the inputs and outputs were. And by the end of in, end of the day, um, I would have enough information to write protection and some of the more talented people would have enough information and understanding to actually write an exploit from that patch code. So certainly even things that come out that aren't in, in active wild, if they are in a problematic uh, service, you need to, to pay attention to. But absolutely, if, if they are being actively exploited, the way, especially even, it's even worse today than it was four or five years ago, right, Nigel? Because today there's like almost an industry of weaponization, uh, right? So, oh, yeah. And we've Absolutely. had this discussion on this podcast in the past where, where, where I think me and Craig were arguing over what the outcome of the, uh, I think it was the SMB bug was. And, and I laid out, this is what the path is going to be because we've seen it before. It goes to this country and these guys handle it and then this country picks it up and they use their stuff. So... When we went back, for example, I don't know if I shared this with you, Craig, the, um, some of our understanding of the struts attacks as it is now, we could see that increase in spikes and separated by country. It was the same sort of pattern. So when, 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 if, you're, if you're trying to make a security decision and you're looking at something that's actively exploited, know that everyone on the planet knows that it's actively exploited. Everyone has a copy of it, and they're just going to take their process and weaponize it for their purposes. Yeah, you know, and it, it's the problem is when it's that simple and it's that obvious and there's that many people exploiting it, it's just going to be, I think, even more uh, widely exploited because people don't think they're going to get caught. You know, it's like if uh, a thousand people are running down the hallway, what's the chance you're going to grab that specific person who did it, right? Uh, and, and, you know, not, not to be an end of the world or if you can't. Ladies patch. and gentlemen, master of analogies, Craig Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, back to if you can't patch, right? Let's say you have hardened devices like uh, medical stuff and you can't touch it. Well, that's where you can really start taking a hard look at segmentation, you know, look at getting, uh, you know, intrusion prevention systems and have them drop the malicious packets. I mean, there's a lot of different mitigation scenarios you can go through. But the important thing is that you actually follow through. You, you can't just ignore these issues or you're going to get exploited. We also are, are assuming that people know about the issue to begin with, right? I mean, there's, I would venture to guess that there is a gigantic percentage of people 
that have absolutely no idea that a patch was out, that there was even a vulnerability in it. Um, you know, so this, well, I mean, you know, not with struts though. I mean, that was some pretty big news. Yeah, it was a zero day. I mean, it was all over. Uh, it was some pretty so big I, news for us. Yeah. Yes. What I would to support Joel's point, I think, like going back to our J Boss investigation, Craig. We found JBoss in places where people didn't know there was even web servers necessarily. Like uh, one of the early investigations we did was at a hospital where uh, the JBoss compromise was through their uh, HVAC management system. And Ooh, Joel, you're right, by the way. And you don't you don't know that that JBoss is the core of that HVAC web system, right? How are you going to know that that needs to be patched? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't even going to get into embedded systems. <laughs> But Joel, you, you were correct. Uh, that was a very poorly covered post by the press. It only had uh, some security, three security-specific uh, blogs written about it. So, yeah, it probably did go unseen. Joel, you're right, is going to be the opener of this episode, because I don't think that's something <laughs> we need to get out of Craig's mouth again. <laughs> just on repeat. Just that sentence on repeat. Yeah. <laughs> Going to be the the least used button on the soundboard is the your right button. I think there's also some um, overlooked operational things that happen, which you know, there's a lot of people running around. Well, why didn't they patch? How come you're not patched already? Well, come on, the patch is out. You should be good. Well, that's easy for you to say if you're you know if you have to look after a bunch of applications that are running. You know, on whatever your servers, OS is your servers running, if you have patches come out, you can't just deploy them into production. Right. There's steps that have to be taken. And that's... And, you know, and sure, I mean, if it's an emergency thing, if it's a big high-profile issue, yes, you should have a procedure in which you can get things, um, you know, deployed a lot faster, but there's still a process there. And it's not, it's not like, you know, turning on a faucet, right? It's not like, oh, hey, the patch is here, quick, boom, and it's done. Things happen, and it takes a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even where you, we, it, let's say if you have a, a problem in, um, like, let's say Microsoft Word or something like that, and you have to get all of your, all your sales guys' laptops patched. Well, good luck doing that in a short amount of time because you can't just, you know, Patch. Oh, hey, guys, patch, right? You're going to deploy something, which means they need to log in, which means you need to, you know, deploy something and, and test it to make sure it's going to work, etc. So that's going to delay you a little bit there. Then you have to wait for all of those guys to actually log in so that they can get that patch, right? So, you know, it, it's it's so easy. I see so many people, so many security people jumping around going, oh, yeah, you know, you should patch. You, should, you need to patch. Well, come on. Think about it a little bit from the other side of the, of the fence here, and it's it's really not that simple. You know, from the layman's perspective, though, it is, right? They see Windows say, right. oh, an update's available, click. You know, they're not used to having thousands of systems that have to be QA'd and with no downtime. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't obviously have no info on Equifax, but I would imagine their website is pretty sensitive, and that if maybe right. it didn't work, it might have a significant business impact. So they're probably pretty careful right. with the patches. Yeah, absolutely. I would think so, yeah. We have a, a, another uh, you know big threat that we're looking at this week that we've faced and we've talked about and released a blog post on, um, and that's 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 CCleaner. Does uh, do you want do you want to chat about that, Craig? CCleaner came up when we were testing one of the prototype engines for our malware protection product, um, and effectively what we found out was that it appeared that there was a legitimate software package out there that had been signed, but was also installing malware in addition to the main binary. 
you know, immediately this sets off a series of events within Talos. Uh, Matt's team really dove into it, and we started taking it apart. Uh, and it was eerily similar to the Medoc connection, right? I mean, effectively what we had, and we, it, we don't exactly know the root cause yet, was there was some sort of way that the supply chain for the software had been meddled with, and this piece of malware had been put into a signed binary. Kind of like the Python libraries, right? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's right. actually very that interesting. And that was a really that one was really interesting because of it. Uh, one of them that they that they uh, changed was the Django uh, one, which is if you use Python, that's the embedded web server stuff, right? Which a lot of Python um, applications use. I'm know, sure it's not that widely deployed. There. <laughs> yeah, that, this has been Partly happening more all, and more. Right? Not just not just Python, not just C Cleaner, but I mean, uh, and not me, Doc Ruby. Uh, what was the a uh, handbrake, which is a Mac application? There was mm-hmm. uh, there was another Mac application recently that had the same thing, had malware embedded into it. I mean, uh, obviously, I think you know, are we shifting? I guess the question is, are we shifting away from you know Word doc exploitation and getting no. into hey, let's just attack the supply chain? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an additional vector, maybe. Yeah, for an attacker, a supply chain attack is a dream, right? They have a solid victim base. They have a way to slide it in so that there's no exploit really to detect right off the bat. Uh, and then simply they install their malware. So it's really skipping that step that would make it easy to detect. I mean, like, let's look back at Netya, right? When Netya was deployed, uh, a lot of people couldn't find the vector. Remember? I mean, it, it basically slid in through the tax update and in doing so people assumed it must've come in via email. And so lots of companies were staring for these phantom emails. Meanwhile, their networks were just melting down. That went back to the thing of, oh, hey, you know, it came in via email, and then everybody's looking for email when it, that wasn't the case at all. Okay, you know, so we've done, our, we've done our email bashing bit for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> we do this every episode, so there's So it's a, it's a, uh, the whole attack, right, is an abuse of trust, right? So you are, you yeah. are leveraging someone else's trust and, and to deliver your intent. And that's one of the, one of the things that made... It would make in each of these discussions uh, a very um, difficult question coming out of these is, well, how do we protect ourselves against that, right? And so from our perspective, we're super happy with the performance of that engine in this case um, because our indications are that that's the only thing that it caught it at that point. Um, but when we're talking to, to different organizations about NotPetchy in particular, and they're asking, you know, why was this so difficult to defend? Well, you essentially gave an attacker a foothold in your network, and then you got to start trying to defend yourself. And that's just uh, super challenging at that point. Um, you've bypassed, you know, half the protections that a, that a, a system is set up or a, a organization is set up to protect yourselves. And so, yeah, these, um, these supply chain attacks are going to, especially since they were so successful this year, you get this sense that there's a blood in the water sort of situation and people are going to be pursuing them as an attack vector. Well, I think what we have too is more people looking for them. You know, as bad guys see attack after attack come out successful, they're starting to realize that there are soft targets out there, right? And so as they find these new soft targets that are easy to penetrate, out come more supply chain attacks. I think what, I think what concerns me with those is the... Um, it, especially where the Python libraries are concerned, 
is that people are going to go are going to take even longer to patch a security issue because each time they update their python libraries they're going to want to take a look at those very carefully right and see to make sure that they haven't been compromised in some way right because if you have a good source and you know that you're not compromised right now then uh you know seeing things like this and you have to update do i want to run that risk without checking it first right how how important is that to me you know and that that kind of thing is is you know what do you do right yeah and they they don't have the most organizations don't have the capacity to make those sort of checks right so how do right, you right how do you how do you look into that and i think well you and i talked about this the, the other day right when we talked about you know some of these things and and how you know signing updates of things is is a good way to go you know whatever it is but in some instances it with the level of control that the attacker has over that supply chain that probably isn't going to help you either because if they've got control over the server that does the signing and stuff then it doesn't really make a difference because they can sign their own things and it and you know that that is taken out of your hands too right yep absolutely well, that's where it gets really difficult for the home users. I mean, because even if they're savvy enough to check for things like, hey, is it signed correctly? It doesn't matter. Well, and that plays yeah. into our defenses too, right? Like we, we take into consideration in some of our automated systems where, we, where we're like, how do we handle this new binary? If it's signed, it gets points in the, in the plus column, assuming it's from a, a cert that we trust. Um, you know, it's, it's, it gets a little bump in terms of, yeah, it's probably good because it's signed. So it's challenging across the board in terms of how you evaluate software. It, these supply chain things are are difficult. And to go back to to find another way to to compliment Anthony Greco, since this is a pro Anthony Greco episode, he's done a ton of work. <laughs> Kevin and his team has done a ton of work in securing the Cisco supply chain side, and he's he's put out some incredible information on the Cisco security blog about how Cisco approaches it and why it's important to upgrade to new generation firewalls. And so some of the protections that have been added there to ensure that the software route is, is valid and from Cisco and trusted. Just to give our users an idea of what to look for, right? So if I'm mom and pop and I, I want to go get like a, a new piece of software or an operating system, like how do you know what to look for when you're buying it? You know, like go to the vendor's website, see if they have a product security baseline see if they've disclosed bugs in the past, right? See if they care about security. That's, I think there's, that's a good point that you just mentioned right there is, is that one of see what they've disclosed in the past. Because I guarantee you every single piece of software out there on the face of the planet has had problems, right? And, and any vendor who tries to hide that fact or doesn't you know, disclose when those things have happened, you've got to you know, be very wary of that, I think. I'm not going to expect my dad to go check a patch level of an operating no, system. I, I, he wants to buy it Best Buy, though. No, it's not. I, I mean, I'm not saying that. I mean, I'm talk, we're talking about the other uh, customers, right? The Cisco customers, whatever it happens to be, whoever, you, you know, where you do this and, and it's part of your job what you have to do, right? I think for home users, it, uh, for personally, I mean, and, and I was talking to one of, one of Craig's guys yesterday about this, and that is, what, what would you recommend someone at home actually do? And my answer would be get an iPad. And, and yeah. use an you iPad. Know, Honestly, yeah. uh, don't bother with a laptop, I, I literally, desktop, nothing. Use an iPad, and and you know, because if all you're doing is surfing the the internet and and sending a couple of emails or whatever, you know, that's it's more than good enough for that. 
Yeah, you know, I was having the same conversation with my parents because they both had this affected software. Mm. I'm sure that's going to ruin my weekend. Oh, yeah, <laughs> probably. But, you know... <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. Tell us the story of the screenshot you got. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm working on this post, you know. Uh, it was me and Edmund late at night writing this out. Um, and it was really important to us that we registered all the domains so that we effectively neutered the malware going forward, right? So previous people, they may be compromised, but we did what we could to immediately stop the spread. Uh, and like, we're working on this for a number of hours. You know, I had to skip a meeting, um, basically got room service and sat in the room writing it. And then all of a sudden it occurs to me, Hey, <laughs> like five months ago, my dad actually mentioned this software. And so immediately I just like, you know, I think shit, <laughs> you know, cause if, if you have parents that have computers, you all know what I mean. So, you know, I, I, I call him up. I'm like, Hey, did you have this installed in your computer? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, what does it say at the top of the screen near, near the C cleaner thing? And he names off the exact backdoored version. Yeah, well, the funniest part, too, was uh, I don't know if you remember our, our post on 7-Zip, right? The compression library we found all the bugs in, uh, like, what, in about a year ago? Late last year. Yeah, so he, he sends pictures at the beach house, which was slightly damaged in the storm, and by slightly, I mean totaled, uh, and they're all 7-Zipped. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, <laughs> within, within by the period. vulnerable version, of course. <laughs> so what yeah, you're saying, course, you're, course, you your know. dad's the target demographic <laughs> for all these bugs. <laughs> Please don't target him, attackers. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a bug magnet. You have Fire Amp on his box because I want to monitor his box. I'm, I'm going to go put Immunet on it when I ever go over there. Yeah, and, and the reality is, you know, we don't know what happened, right? We'll never know what happened potentially. Uh, but we do know what was given out as far as the binary. Uh, so advice to customers, if you were hit by this, you know, you've really got to make sure that you either uh, reinstall, recover from a backup, or that you very carefully scan your system. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's, a, there's another little thing that you've just glossed over, Craig, and that's re- restoring from a backup. Well, yeah. think about that for a second. What if your backup right? is not that compromised. successful? <laughs> mm. Right. I mean, you, yes, I can restore machine, from a right? backup. Is is my backup not compromised? Is my backup okay, et cetera? Right. That is a very and, good question. Yeah, and that's the important yeah. consideration. And, and we had this conversation earlier today that, um, you know, it doesn't matter what the particular piece of software is or, or what the attack was like. Once once you have a piece of backdoored software in a machine, that attacker can put pretty much anything they want on your machine, whether it just be, a, you know, some kind of a keylogger or ransomware or you know, making your computer part of a botnet, whatever it is, whatever they want to do, they can do. And those backdoors have persistence. So even if you update that software and, and put the good version back on, you could still have a persistent backdoor. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's really important to just reiterate, right? And this was one that tricked my parents up. So I want to make sure everyone out there who's not a security person understands you, you can't just upgrade the software here, right? When the software was installed, it loaded the malware up, which is then running separately. So even if you reinstall the software in the latest version, you've still got malware on your system running in memory. Uh, so you've got to make sure you've got to make sure that you actually delete that binary, delete the hooks that load the binary, yeah. uh, and clean the system or re- reinstall. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know your your backups again should really just be data, and you should be encrypt, encrypting them anyway. Um, you know that. It's it. You shouldn't ever think that you can just take an image of whatever's running on your laptop currently, you know, uh, applications and all, and just back all of that up, right? And then if something happens down the line, oh, I'll just take that one back again. Well, you know, that goes back to the the same idea applies there, right? Once you've installed something, it's there. 
right? Once you've installed an infected version, the stuff that's the malware piece is still on that image. And if you've backed up that image, you've backed up that malware piece as well. I have, uh, I have worked at a place that had malware on their gold image for rolling out systems. Oh, oh no. That's and awesome. It, and it took, them, it? Nope. It. It took them longer than maybe it should have <laughs> to figure out what was going on. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's but it, then again, I mean, it's easily yep. done. You Super think easy. you have a gold image and you don't, right? So, Well, think know, back to the shareware it, days. Like, this used to happen all the time back then. Oh, yeah. You know, when all yeah. we had was physical media. Like, Yeah. That's why I see I'm, I'm Mitch, not good at sharing, right? So, I, yeah. Mitch, do you remember that when you had to carry around like a floppy disk? Uh, yeah. And oh, Mitch is older than all of us. Are you kidding? Yeah. I'm, well, but I don't think he got into computers until the iPads came out. Yeah, <laughs> Mitch is the oldest. <laughs> he is marketing uh, person. No, right? no, so. I had to suffer through installing Doom off like eight floppies, and you know, <laughs> hell, I remember back when uh, you know you had to you had to load up a game just to get it into memory before we even really had hard drives on, on our old apples and IBM PC juniors that would, uh, you want to play a load runner. You had to like put that disc in, get into your, uh, you know, floppy prompt and, <laughs> put and the disc in what, how about, how about typing it in by hand, Mitchell out of the, <laughs> off the page that you're reading in a magazine for God's sake. He means punching holes in the corner. <laughs> Serious. Well, you know, you had to type it in and, and you prayed that the, that you didn't pull the, uh, plug out of, of, of your little you know your box that you were typing it into because if the power goes out you had nothing right there's no discs nothing there's nothing you yeah. were done and you know we're, we've touched on um a few things here and and exploits of vulnerabilities we, we even talked a little bit about like the economy of exploits that that's going on behind that and that goes on on, on both sides of the fence on 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 the you know white hat defender side on the on the offensive security side uh just as much as is with the bad guys Matt, you were you shared an article from Zerodium that was kind of discussing uh, some of the ways that those are being incentivized these days. You want to chat about that? It's it's it comes up a lot. Uh, this this particular every time this this group uh, announces that it's changed its payout, but this is uh, the Zerodium payout for various exploits. Um, so Zerodium's a, a firm that's that's no stranger to controversy, but what what they do is they pay out for um, security vulnerabilities of different different types, uh, and and they advertise that they pay from five thousand dollars on the low end up to one point five million dollars uh, for the high end, and I thought it was I thought it was really interesting um, to understand like it's 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 the most public kind of understanding of the relative value of different kinds of research. And you can probably take away some information from the fact that, for example, um, the only thing they'll pay a million dollars or above for is either a iPhone remote jailbreak uh, for a million or an iPhone remote jailbreak with zero clicks for 1.5 million. Uh, those are in, in, I think, I think what we've talked about, we've talked about this in the past. We've talked about, there's two pieces like in class economics that define what that price is. It's either supply or demand. Um, and I think in this case, when you see this value, you're seeing two things at work. One, there's a lot of demand for the ability to break into the iPhone, um, from different organizations. Um, it's a high value target. Um, it's widely deployed. People have, keep essentially their entire lives on their phones. So it's, you know, if you're doing an investigation, it's what you want to be able to get into. But the iPhone environment, uh, in my opinion, is one of the better secured environments. It's walled garden is very, 
thick. They've thought a lot about it. They're very controlling about what goes into their systems and how they're separated. And it's very difficult. So the supply of iPhone remote jailbreaks is very exceptionally small. And so they're willing to pay out, you know, seven figure deals uh, for single exploits. It's I think the, I think this price thing is, is uh, rated on, you know, easiest exploit versus the most secure thing on planet earth, which would be the iPhone. So that, I mean, that, that might be know. reaching a bit, but well, that's well. I mean, that's half of. I mean, so that that thought process has, <laughs> is half of it because that's that's what defines your supply side. If it's easy to exploit, they're going to be getting emails every day. Hey, I have a right. bypass for this, or an info disclosure for that, or I have you know this crashed and this is that. Um, if and so they have lots of them, so they're not going to pay out because they're not as valuable because there's bunches of them. Um, there aren't a lot of iPhone remote jailbreaks, so they're very very rare. And so in that case, they're worth more just by that. But what I think one of the, one of the interesting things is if we think back to the um, shootings in California a couple of years ago and sort of the, the subsequent arguments between the FBI and Apple, when I look at the other thing that, that kind of is interesting to me is that a passcode bypass is only $15,000 um, and a touch ID by, bypass is only $15,000. And you know, if you remember the if you remember the fairly epic back and forth between the top brass at Apple and the top brass at FBI, it seems like uh, that it seems like to me either we don't understand something about the current supply of that um, or it's dramatically undervalued based on what we know. And so, I mean, there, there's maybe there is more supply on those than than we previously thought or, or knew about. Or maybe the demand is getting lower because there's other ways, you know, people are finding other ways in or other ways to get what they need out of it. I'm not sure. But apparently Cellbrite's uh, method of getting in only functioned on that version of that phone on that OS or that, you know, that, that version of that OS on that phone. Um, and I, and it, it apparently it doesn't work on anything newer than that version. I forget what version. I think it was, I think it was uh, iOS 7, if I remember correctly. I don't know if I'm right. I don't know. Why would Touch ID bypass only be 15 grand if that's something that is? And you look up and you see that if somebody can pop iMessage with remote code execution uh, and local privilege escalation, then that's worth 50, you know $500,000. And same thing for SMS if you're on any OS, any other mobile OS. Why would getting access, physical access to a device be so low on, on the totem pole unless there was just a, a plethora of exploits that already existed for it? Maybe. We should point out, we should point out to people that, that, that are maybe confused by the fact that they pair remote code execution with the local privilege escalation and why physical access is different. So the remote code execution gets you access to run code on that device, and then on that device, you're then considered local, and then you escalate your privilege on that device. So that's why um, you're seeing that $500,000 figure requires you to provide both pieces because those breaks are in applications, and those applications will be running in limited rights capacity, so you have to break that application, and then you have to break out of that right constriction to be able to do your administrative level stuff you want to do. So that's why you see those pairs for remote code execution LPE on applications, and you don't see them like on the iPhone remote jailbreak piece. What's the cheapest thing they have? What's the shittiest one? So we talked about this before a little bit, and we had that discussion as well. 
because um, it's like PHP BB remote code execution and oh, yeah. Joomla and Drupal <laughs> and all these like <laughs> web app sort of things. Yeah, RC is a, a, yeah. a router RC, and I'm assuming that means like a home router, like not like a you know big you know next gen firewall type class of you know. Yeah, presumably, I mean. You know, the reason it might be so common is because there's still a shitload of just low-hanging fruit in consumer router voles. Uh, you know, like, remember all the AT&T U-verse ones that are littered all over Austin that have, like, default passwords and real code execution bugs, command injection bugs? Uh, you know, and this is this is in this day and age, having those bugs and externally facing IP is just insane. Well, you don't really need that so much for, I mean, the home routers. I, they never take the default admin credentials off those routers. The cable company doesn't. The user never does. And they're they're pretty easy to pop if you can get if you're in physical range of them. No, the, so the ones the AT and T one I'm talking about the Uverse modems they actually do have unique usernames and passwords on every device. Uh, now they they affix it with a sticker on the outside of the device, uh, but there isn't really a default one that's supposed to be known. Um, so that's what FIOS does. FIOS does the same thing. Yeah, FIOS is the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I bet I bet if you uh, if you email Zerodium and you're like, hey, I've got. I've got a O'Day in the current version of Cisco iOS. You're going to get a different offer back than ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, especially if you have something oh, like I that Action so. Tech, because every FiOS customer in the world tweet back at us. Every FIOS customer in the world has that Action Tech router, and if you could pop that thing, I'm sure that somebody would be willing to pay a pretty penny for that. Well, and that's the underlying that's the underlying problem that we saw with um, with the Mirai botnets, right? is everything was okay, and then all of a sudden, you know, half of Germany's uh, cable modems were exploitable, and everybody knew it. And then all of a sudden, that entire space went from from everything's fine to everything's on fire. And so, so I think that from our perspective, from a defensive perspective from a company like Cisco, those are the kind of things that, that maybe don't catch consumers eyes um but catches our eyes when someone says oh hey this this uh, consumer model cable modems you know exploitable most people be like oh we don't use that we're like oh my god how many of those are there and what can you do once right. you have control of it yeah how big is this botnet gonna yeah. be <laughs> right so i think that a lot of people will look at this on face value if they're not in the security industry, a lot of people would look at this and say that they're just incentivizing bad behavior. I think that the security folks will look at this and say, hey, you know, this is how we stay one step ahead of the bad guys. If people are paying bug bounties, if people are looking for researchers who have the ability to find these vulnerabilities and exploit them, then, you know, we get to stay one step ahead of people who, you know, could potentially drop. Can you imagine the pandemonium that an iMessage zero day would cause i mean just generally speaking like the one we found with libtiv <laughs> but they i mean one of the, i mean one of the nice things like so back to me appreciating apple's iphone uh security approach the patch that goes out for that happened very quickly like apple's response because apple controls the ability to update those devices um the ability to secure yourself happened much quicker than you would see in some in what i believe you would see in some other environments where there's a long tail testing for all the different versions of this OS and this hardware um, because Apple's so tight on what runs their software, they can roll out those patches much more quickly than some vendors can. Well, and unlike Android, they tend to keep most of their users on the latest uh, OS level, which I think makes it significantly easier to patch. You're not testing 20 code trains. Yeah. And I think that those two pieces go together. 
and, and I was just looking at that this morning for another issue with with Android stuff, and and it's it's a case of uh, the way that they do this. And like Matt just said, Apple is in control of those updates completely, right? With with Android, Google's not in control of all those updates. You have phone manufacturers mm-hmm. who are responsible for putting out the updates, or the, the company, or, or your yeah, the, your company, your telco is actually the one who's responsible for getting those on there. And what it comes down to there again is also that cycle of testing that needs to be done on all those different models of phone, etc., and all those scenarios that they have to run through. Because the last thing that they want is to you know piss off their customers, right? Have a, if you've got you know a couple of million customers and 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 you break half of those phones, you're in a lot of trouble, right? There's a lot of people that are going to be really quick to go, you know what? Yeah, I, I think I'm just going to move to a different company. See ya, right? So you've got to be so careful with that stuff. As they totally should. Well, they should. Absolutely, they should. That's the, that's the difference in the, in the ecosystems they have there. You have one phone, one phone manufacturer at least. Mm-hmm. It probably has, what, two to three different supported models at a time. I think now with the X, we have like, they have like five, which is the most they've ever had active. Um, and then you have the Android ecosystem where you have damn near innumerable phones from multiple manufacturers. There's just what you said. There's no way that they can keep up with it to the same degree as, is that the walled garden and carefully controlled and carried approach that Apple takes, which makes them, you know, that that's what gives them the higher value targets there. It's harder to pop it. And, you know, if anybody out there at Apple wants to give me one of those new phones to, to talk nice about, we're open to bribery. <laughs> get it right out there. Listen, Craig, Craig, Craig's probably one of the best people you could get one of those. Because if, if anybody's going to break it, it's Craig. What Nigel said. That's if anybody can brick that new phone, it will be Craig That's Williams. True. That is true. I have, the, I have the touch of death, man. One of the, uh, one of the other things I call out on this, the rhodium chart, to kind of get back to the, the piece we're talking about is the chart for, you know, and we'll, we'll link it in the show notes, I'm sure, but the chart is broken into two pieces. There's the Rhodium payouts for desktops and servers and there's Rhodium payouts for mobiles. And, and this may help inform, like, the thought process of some people that are facing Internet of Things decisions and, and bring your own mm-hmm. device decisions, like how you approach that when someone brings that into your enterprise. Um, Zerodium is paying out 1.5 million for a iPhone remote jailbreak. The most they pay out on the desktop side is $300,000 for a Windows RCE zero click. And uh, that is remote code ex- execution. Uh, yeah. um, I, I promise Ooh, to. Your Reddit guy is not going to be pissed. What was the guy's name you were supposed to call out? Yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, Bill Dietrich one on Reddit. Uh, that was for you, buddy. Wow. So something just happened that I don't know what happened, but that's cool. So, but, but so if Wait, you wanna... is there a beers with Talos subreddit that I don't know about? <laughs> uh, no, I, I posted the last episode in the uh, NetSec students, and that was one of the comments we got back was like, hey, I don't get all the acronyms that you guys are oh, throwing that's around. Good call. Uh, that's a good call. I apologize at guy who didn't get acronym. That's my bad. Um, you can you can tweet yeah. profanity at him, uh, Kate yep. Pike. Hit me, <laughs> hit me up. If I don't see an "fu" tweet, I'm gonna be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> to, to kind of put the way I think about this into the minds of some of the listeners, uh, Zerodium will pay you three hundred thousand dollars for a Windows RCE zero remote code execution zero click. Um, an iPhone is one point five million, so well, they're they're paying five times as much for an iPhone. Can you name the last Windows RCE zero click, Craig? Uh, zero click would probably be that SMB worm, Eternal right? Blue, 
right? Think of the think of the chaos that caused. Think of of how much uh, heat various uh, organizations have received because that's out there. Think of how many industries and organizations have been damaged. And that value for Zerodium, and, remember, and a reminder, Zerodium is, is catering to its customers. So you have to think about who their customers are. Uh, that's, that's worth 300000 But an iPhone remote jailbreak, $1.5 Hold on, my phone on my iPhone securely. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> it's just, it's amazing to me. Like, like um, oh, what was, it? I don't know, Craig, I was trying to think about this the other day. You remember there was another SMB bug that Microsoft patched maybe three years ago. And there was an enormous industry-wide attempt to get it to be exploitable. Like it went on. Oh, do you remember yeah. what? It, I can't remember what it was. Um, uh, but it went on for like three weeks. Like the big hitters in in the security exploit dev were like, oh, there were there was IRC channels and there was Twitter comms and like everybody was back and forth. Is that it. the one? Is that the one that everybody was going, this has got to be wormable? Yeah. Right? That yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and so everybody was jumping on it, trying to, trying to actually make it wormable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the vendor that found it said it was, but then it never, ever yeah. worked. Yeah. Well, I think Microsoft's got better about um, what they say about Vons. Um, in the past, sometimes they, I think they underplayed maybe the criticality of, of a couple of specific Things they put out that, in retrospect, were more critical than, than they decided, but certainly in the last, you know, seven, eight years, they've gotten much better about, you know, we're going to err on the side of saying this is super critical. And, man, everybody gave that a shot. But if that had been wormable, that's a $300,000 phone. So hear that, kid? Stop dumping O'Day on the Internet and just turn it in. Yeah. And figure <laughs> out how to make it wormable first. I'm just trying to think of the guy that's listening to this podcast sitting on a on a zero day from Windows remote code execution going, you know, Craig's right. I should just sell this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you know, I want to take Craig's advice and I want to let me just dial Zerodium. You should probably sell it before Craig falls into it and does it anyway. <laughs> right? You know, oops. Hey, guys, look what I just found. I'll responsibly tweet it. <laughs> That'll oh, be a man. first responsibly tweeting. So there's a there's a couple other things here that are probably worth noting um, in terms of like, and this is more about like analyzing supply side stuff. So one of the interesting things is five hundred thousand dollars will get you um, access via Signal or Telegram or WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger are all on that same line. Um, there's some really interesting things that are called out is valuable to somebody that are willing to pay for that. Wasn't well, that where the good data is going to be? Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's more like uh, if say you're an LEO, uh, I'm sorry, say you're a law enforcement organization and uh, you are, <laughs> you are uh what do you catch yourself, buddy? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. You know, I can be taught. It just takes me a couple cycles to get through it. Um, yeah. So, and, and you are pursuing an adversary who is using encrypted communications. Um, if you have a phone in that encrypted communication, you're you're in golden because they they trust that app, and I think that's probably what's driving the supply factor on this side. That's the kind of thing that I would expect um, law enforcement organizations to be going after. Well, and to the point of the earlier conversation, I mean, you see that a code signing bypass is only worth a hundred thousand dollars for iOS. Only. Yeah, no kidding, right? And you, and the thing about that is that <laughs> thing won't last long. Like you know, you get that on the Apple Store, and then it's just. It's going to get blocked really quickly. 
But one of the interesting when people are looking at this, and, and Joel kind of referenced this. Let me see if I can find an example. Yeah, here, so um, $50,000 for a local privilege escalation to, escalation to root. What will happen is uh, Zerodium will take various lower-end bugs that are kind of passed together to it. And so they may be sitting on, say, um, a Chrome remote code execution, but without a sandbox escape. And then they'll get they'll pay 50000 for that, and then they'll pay 50000 for the local privilege escalation and put those two together to get the access that they're looking for. So even if you've got like a solution to certain technical problems that maybe aren't strictly speaking vulnerabilities, um, but are bypasses, um, they're still valuable to to Zerodium because they'll they'll bolt those onto other uh, lower lower end exploits. I think that goes back to that touches back on what we were talking about last week with people chaining vulnerabilities together and how some people think, well, it's not that serious of a vulnerability. Well, no, but when you put it with three or four other things. It really is, right? And that's something that people miss a lot of the time. I think that the, it's got, like you said, Matt, is a lower privilege execution to root, and it has iOS and Android on that one as the same price, which I feels a little incorrect. I would think that, you know, LPE to root on Android would be a, would be maybe 50000 but LPE to root on iOS would be higher, I would think, because of the sandboxing they've got going on and stuff. I would think that would be a more challenging of a thing. Well, that could be a, a demand thing, right? And LPE is local privilege escalation for you listeners. I said it the first time. And see, the first time you have to spell it out, and then you can use the acronym from then on. I wonder how much a face bypass is going to be worth. All right, uh, Matt, anything else on Zerodium? No, let's do the wrap-up. I'm ready. Yeah, let's just go around. So, uh, you know, we're just going to go around and get some final parting thoughts here. Craig, what do you want to leave everybody with today? You know, don't trust software implicitly. If you think your system's acting funny, scan it. Supply chain attacks are real, and I think we're seeing more of them as bad guys figure out weaker and weaker targets to target or just simple security lapses, right? Share a password. Somebody can get in and backdoor your software. So, you know, check it out, be careful, and make sure you have backups that you can restore to should the shit hit the fan. Joel. Uh, Things are good. Everything's wonderful down here at the Security Onion Conference here in lovely Augusta, Georgia. And, uh, you know, thanks, uh, everybody, for listening, and we appreciate it very much. Hey, what's the MAC address for the Bluetooth receiver in your new car? Uh, (laughs) You know what? I don't know. I didn't write that down. It's not one of the things I write down as soon as I jump in. Matt. All right. So I have, I have constructed a challenge for our listeners. And I'm, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it is the, I think Matt likes these parts better than the whole podcast. I think he does. <laughs> I, I particularly enjoyed last week's true and false section. I just I <laughs> want to point that well, out. Actually, you know, real quick, Matt, before you jump into that, I did want to mention one quick thing. Um, we totally forgot today's geography lesson and oh, the difference geez. between the letters O and U. <laughs> What? Yeah, what is that? Ex- that makes sense that so, you're puzzled right now, Craig. Craig? No, I didn't even hear what he said. Where's Columbia? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, in my defense. So hold, no, 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 no. You normally get I'm going to tell no. this story this time. There is no defense. Wait, wait, no, you have to explain the inside joke. You have to explain the inside joke. All right, so here we go. We get an email. So we're all on an email list that helps plan out um, customer interactions. 
And so we get an email from a sales team in Mexico says, hey, we're going to Colombia, which for you guys, uh, that's where one of the core pieces of Talos is. We're going to Colombia with a U. Colombia, Maryland. Yep. And they didn't say Maryland to, to Craig's, you know, to let you just said right. Columbia. And so they're like, oh, we're going to have like 20 customers and we'd like to have someone talk to him. So I sent Craig an email. And I said, hey, I'm in Colombia. I'll take this, this meeting so you don't have to fly anybody out there to do it. <laughs> and he was like, are you, are you sure? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I have a guy that's closer. I'm like, Craig, where do you think this is? Like, do you read these emails? And he's like, well, I read it and I saw Columbia, so I thought it was the country. And I'm like, that would be Colombia, not Colombia, you idiot. <laughs> and then Nigel comes over top because we're in the channel together. And Nigel goes, and Colombia's not Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be pro fair, tip, to be neither fair. one's in Mexico. <laughs> We did just receive an invite to a thing in Bogota last quarter that we couldn't do, and I, I thought it was the same group. No, that's but, Colombia. You know, <laughs> well, but they have, they never have these conferences like where they live. They have them in like nice places, like where a beach where everybody will go, right? I mean, come on, Michigan, I, I for one me, enjoy yeah. going to conferences near beaches. Yeah. yeah. Can, can I just say something else here? Uh, Bogota, Colombia is not on a beach. <laughs> okay. It was 4 a.m. and I glanced at it. You know? <laughs> Don't forget, Mitchell just cut out Craig's reply completely. Oh yep. yeah. He has no input into this at all. He's got no defense. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Okay, Matt, on to the user challenge. And the, the challenge. So one of the one of the things that as managers that we've discussed in the past, I think that we all agree on is that we wish our employees would pick up the phone and call um mm. and actually you know engage sometimes rather right. than waiting on email or something like that like why don't you just call this guy and fix this problem so i propose a no internet challenge to encourage this and here are the rules oh you may not use go. the internet to answer this question you're allowed to ask even your though friends. you're listening to this podcast yep. on the internet yep you're allowed to friend ask your friends you can call your mom for you uh, nerds out there, VoIP is allowed. Like, so we're not going to get really worried about this, but you can't look stuff up <laughs> on the internet. You can discuss it at lunch. You can, you can do whatever, but no one involved in the discussion is allowed to research the answer on the internet. You just have to keep asking around till you find someone who knows the answer to the question. And so here's the question. The Siri count? Craig? God damn it, Craig. At some point, Punch you will be in the same room again, and I am going to kick you in the balls. <laughs> and there's our opener. I think you're self-destructed. So here, right, here's the question. There is a song that reached the top 10 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 in September of 1999 that contains Ooh. the words, well, does he like butter tarts? What is the name of the song and the name of the band who sung it? Now, to let you guys know, I knew the name of the song. I did not know the band until I looked it up so they could prep this question. Oh. So you get half credit for getting, getting the name of the song correct. Um, I would have never gotten the band. <laughs> but I just out of curiosity, do any of you know, like, don't, obviously don't say that, but do any of you know which song this is? I might know what the song is, but I have no idea who did it. Yeah. You've definitely heard, you've definitely Absolutely heard the song. Know. Um, I, I'm at a loss. I'm going to have yeah. to... I'm, I'm going to have to, it's going to take me some, some asking around to figure this one out. But there you go. Go have a good conversation with someone. No cheating. Or let me know how long it took until you decided you were going to cheat anyway. I'm not the police. <laughs> the hell do you care what I And think? honor system, if you don't cheat and want to email us an answer, uh, you know, we, we'd, be, we'd love to see that. 
Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I was going to say no way of checking. Yeah, what I was going to say is drop us a note. Let us know how many people you asked before you found someone who knew, and how certain you were that person cheated. <laughs> no one's allowed to call you back. Oh, hey, uh, you remember at lunch we were talking about this? I just remembered the answer. You're like, no, uh-uh. <laughs> doesn't count. No. So, or you can leave a comment. Actually, we put a blog post up for each episode. Now you can leave a comment there. You can tweet us. You can email us. You have a ton of different options to to get back to us there. You guys should all get on the comments and just talk smack. You good? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I would love to see everybody talking shit in the comment section to, about Mitchell. We actually I, I racking think, my brain. I think uh, we're so desperate for attention. Uh, that poor guy who answered the simple <laughs> asked the simple question of us today on Twitter. And hey, you guys Mitch, gonna put this on Stitcher? <laughs> yeah, I want a Stitcher, but he asked this question on on Twitter, and then he got what Mitch described as a mini episode in return because I think all of us replied back, <laughs> either answering his question or picking on each other as we went through the question. As is the time yes, is way. the way. <laughs> yes, Nigel, you got any parting thoughts for today? Yes, sir. Couple of things. First of all, Mighty Reds are playing tomorrow. They're gonna win. Second. Um, very you know, rest in peace, Cassini. And third, uh, everybody should be using iPads. Or rest in pieces. Yeah, <laughs> I got it, Chipper. Jesus, <laughs> good one. That's about as good as it's going to get today, or, or maybe hopefully that's just about as bad as it gets. I'm not quite sure. Either way, we're going to go ahead and call it there. Remember, we're doing each podcast, uh, we're doing a blog post on blog.talosintelligence.com. You can leave your comments there. You can, as always, reach us on Twitter at Talos Security. You can also email us, beerswithtalos at cisco.com. Thanks for joining us one more time, and we hope to see you again next time on Beers with Talos. Cheers.